the author of sin. Remember, God, we think God's in control, and so an Arminian says, well, if he's in control of it all, then he must be the author of sin. Um, now, in their view, now this may take you back to last week, in their view, nothing less than libertarian freedom can absolve God from the charge of authoring sin. And again, remember last week we talked about man's responsibility and God's sovereignty? Remember that? Remember Anybody remember libertarian freedom? It was in there, wasn't it, Blake? Libertarian freedom. Um, man has complete, that definition, libertarian, man has complete freedom to choose as he wishes. No outside influence. We're totally free. The free will of man. Okay? So, if, if you hold to that, God's not in control of the choices of man. So, God doesn't cause the evil to happen. Ding, ding, ding. Problem solved. God's not responsible for evil. Man is in his libertarian freedom. We got it. End of discussion. Ready to go home? Um, problem. That view, God's not sovereign. Remember what we mentioned first? If you come up with a theory that gets you that, something that we know about God being sovereign and in control, the theory's not right, is it? So that's where libertarian freedom has a bit of a problem. And he does, which we just, that's right, we discussed last week, that's right. But God is sovereign over the actions of man. And uh, we're not totally liber libertarian, in a libertarian sense, free um, to do as we wish. We have influences, God, God being one. Oh, um, somehow we must confess both that God has a role in bringing, a, in bringing evil about and that in doing so, he remains holy and blameless. And, and the greater good defense supports that. Uh, God brings about sin, but always for his good purpose, for his good purpose. Remember, think theistically as well. Uh, so, in bringing sin to pass, he does not himself sin. So, again, Frame encourages to stay away from using the term author because of those problems. Next, and we'll dip into briefly, is the term causes. And so, theologians have wrestled with that. Has God caused sin? Uh, Frame has a fairly extensive uh, discussion regarding this and uh, historic theologians' thoughts. Um, I'm just going to touch the surface here. Calvin, Calvin says, For the proper and genuine cause of sin is not God's hidden counsel, but the evident will of man. So cause of sin, not God, but the will of man. The canons of Dort agrees with that. Just to show you how dicey and technical this kind of discussion can get about these verbs, I give you this frame quote. I believe the connection between cause and blame in modern language, so cause and blame, 
in modern language is no stronger than the connection between ordination and blame, then it seems to me that it is not wrong to say that God causes evil and sin. Certainly, we should employ such language cautiously, however, in view of the long history of its rejection by theologians. So historically, using the term causes rejected, he said, I'm not so sure. What's the difference between ordination and causes? Pretty, yes, Blake. Yep. It's it's extremely difficult. In fact, he's in in the book he talks about he's discussing Calvin's view and I, I think it was the word cause, but he, he mentioned one of the terms and he said obviously how he defined that word, Calvin defined that word, it's not like we define it in modern language. It's it was different then for him to get to that conclusion. It was different a different definition then. So this this language thing, or working this out with language, is, is really tough. Uh, really tough to do, and you have to, have to be very cautious about it. So that's a great point. Thank you. Of, of what I read in this, this is the most comforting statement as I read it for me teaching this class from Calvin. By how it was ordained by the foreknowledge and decree of God what man's future was without God being implicated as associate in the fault as the author and approver of transgression is clearly a secret, so much excelling the insight of the human mind that I am not ashamed to confess ignorance. That's Calvin. So I figure, what's my little ignorance compared to to his? But... uh, Okay, the last one we'll go into as far as uh, dealing with this kind of language is uh, the idea of permits. Now, permits is the preferred term in Arminian theology. So for, for those holding that view, God's permission is a hands-off permission. So it's a hands-off. You leave it to the uh, free will of man, and, and that's how evil takes place. Now, Reformed folks say that God's permission is permission is no less efficacious than his ordination. So when God permits and declares, it's the same thing. So uh, we should, and Frame says, we should not assume, as Arminians do, that divine permission is anything less than sovereign ordina- ordination. And when Satan acts... It's with God's permission. Think of Job. Satan acted heavily on Job. Evil came about, sickness, death, all the things occurred to Job who gave permission first. God gave Satan permission and in stages actually in that, in that particular case. Frame says evidently the Reformed use permit mainly as a more delicate term than cause. So again, we're, we're slicing and dicing here a little bit, but it's a more delicate term than cause, suggesting that God brings sin about with a kind of reluctance born of his holy hatred of it. That, to me, has some merit there using that. 
Uh, Frame indicates that he believes it is appropriate to use the term permits as well as uh, uh, he, he believes it's okay to use causes and ordains as well. But uh, he, he thinks it's okay to use permit. However, he points out that because when, when we use the term permit, so many people hold to the Arminian free will view that that might be a reason not to use it. <laughs> so you don't know there. But uh, again, I caution us here. To, we have to be very, very careful in our choice of vocabulary. And, you know, I, I, I love Dr. Johnson. You know, when you teach a class nearly every time, it seems like to me, it's, he would say, let's define our terms. And that's really true in this. Uh, we have to be very careful what we're saying and be careful we, we know what we mean by those terms and make sure our hearers understand those as well. So adequate language really probably doesn't exist to define this problem. But again, our, our language must not compromise God's full sovereignty, His holiness, and His goodness. Okay? Other ideas. The idea of the author and the play model. Now, uh, Frame says that he got this example of the author and the play uh, from Grudem. And uh, so I know some, some of the younger guys went through the entire book of Grudem. So uh, I think it's in there, actually. Um, and for me to talk about Shakespeare is kind of a joke as well. Uh, I did everything I could in high school to avoid reading Shakespeare. I'd read enough of it to maybe pass the test, and if I didn't pass that test, hope I pass the next one. Um, anyway, uh, so it is a bit of a joke for me to talk about it. But Shakespeare uh, to Macbeth, the author and the play, and Macbeth being the murderer of Duncan. Everybody remember this? Does anybody? Oh, that's comforting. Nobody. Oh, one, two, shoot. Bet there's more. Um, I caution us before we get into this, you've got to be careful with analogies. But I think this does give us a way of looking at this and, and gives us some definition around uh, the problem of evil. So the murder takes place in the world of play, okay, uh, or a, a story. Uh, now, we would sense that in the story it would be right for Macbeth to pay for the crime. Right? Committed the murder, pay for the crime. But we would all think it would be inappropriate to punish Shakespeare for the crime. Now, why is that? It's a difference in levels, isn't it? One's in the story and one's above or outside the story. Shakespeare's outside the story. It's a different level of discussion here. So Macbeth is responsible for the crime. Shakespeare, we wouldn't say, should be punished for the crime of murder there. Correct? So if we look at that analogy, it points to the vast difference between the author and the play or the actor in the play. There's a huge difference between the two, right? Um, such as it is between us and God. When you, when you think of, of God being the author of the play, that 
difference is so dramatic. You think of the, the potter and the clay. And a little article that Blake sent me, I, I won't be able to describe it very well, but the difference between the clay and us and the potter and God, the difference between us and the clay is about this much. The difference between the potter and God is huge. So it's not the problem of the clay. It's the problem that it just doesn't describe God is so much bigger. Okay, so we we operate in a in a completely different realm of understanding and and getting the big picture. We're not, we're not the same, and we we can't get it. God sees it all, and it's all for His glory. Simple example of Uzzah. What did Uzzah do? He touched the ark. Would it have been appropriate for David or anybody else to kill Uzzah on the spot? Good point. At least that's what he was trying to do. Right, that's right. Yep, so he was intending to do good. Uzzah was, and what happened to Uzzah? Zapped. Okay? Wouldn't have been appropriate for David to kill him. David could have looked at that and said, oh, he's trying to save the ark. Anybody else there kill him? Been inappropriate. Was it appropriate for God to kill Uzzah? The command was not to touch the ark. Well, yeah. We weren't transporting it correctly either. That's right. So some things were going wrong there. Some things were going wrong there with Uzzah. God had every right, didn't he? The realm in which we operate is totally different. Okay, Sometimes God's glory, God's actions are so far above ours, he had the right to do that. Violated his glory. Okay, And made David mad. All those things happened. But there's a difference in there. There's a vast difference between us. He is the absolute controller of and authority over nature and history. He's the lawgiver. We're the receivers of the law. He's the head of the covenant. We're his servants. He has devised the creation for his own glory, not ours. He's the potter making the pots for his own purposes. He has the rights and prerogatives we don't have. Vast difference between us. So when we think of, we talk about thinking of it from God's perspective. We can't really do that. We can try. We can move over on that side of the fence a little bit and say, ooh, you know, for me that's not that, I don't see that, but from God's perspective, it's okay. Blake? That's right. We're going to get there. <laughs> but you're right. That's, that's right. But we will read that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. God doesn't describe it, and he didn't have to. Um, all that. 
That's right. So other ideas, I term I am who I am. We've talked about that in some of the previous lessons, who God is, who God says he is. Uh, the transcendence of God plays a significant role in, in developing this response to the problem of evil. Uh, because he is the covenant Lord, uh, he's not required to defend himself. Not required to. He, against all the charges that we may have of injustice or whatever, he's, he's, he's the Lord. He doesn't have to defend himself. Uh, you recall that uh, Job demanded a hearing. All this going on with him was evil. He demanded a hearing before God. God's answer to him was, dress yourself for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. What happened to Job from that point forward? His ignorance was revealed, wasn't it? Oh, who am I? God is not subject to ignorant evaluations of his creatures. He's just not. And that's essentially what he declares in the potter clay thing in Romans 9 that, that Blake is uh, referenced there. And I'll read it to you. Uh, Romans 9, 19 through 21. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? The answer by Paul, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? So that's pretty much directing. That's the question of the problem of evil, and that's the answer that the scriptures give us. Kind of who are you to ask about this, okay? A frame in summary says the answer to the problem of evil turns entirely on God's sovereignty. It is as far as could be imagined from a free will defense. It brings to our attention the fact that his prerogatives are far greater than ours, as does the author character model. God's far greater, far outside of us. So in, in my reading of Frame, he kind of comes to two two defenses that he considers good. The greater good defense has some merit, can certainly bring about uh, an answer. God's prerogatives brought about by his transcendence and his sovereignty is another argument uh, that we have. So I did leave some time here for Blake and Ken to answer questions. Okay, Blake. Yeah, that's a good... I, I think fear is a very good word, and, and I think awe is another one, that, that the, the awe that he had of God. And we see that a lot when God presents himself to, to people in the scriptures. So his fears are good, but awe is another one, another word to use there. Yeah, it brings us... I, I think that's what this did for me. I go through this, I think, I don't get all this, and I, I can't describe it. 
and and I, I can't come to a, just a Loctite defense. But it opened my eyes to God so much, so much bigger, so much more powerful and awesome outside of us than we, than than I can grasp. I think Tom, did you raise your hand? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Frame does discuss that, and in that, you know, the idea is that the evil had to be present, and and he worked through that, and that brought out the best best possible plan. And so that's the only way the thing could work. That the creation and all of history could work. There had to be evil to move things along in in one way, and so it's the best possible plan. And in a certain sense. <laughs> I think that's that's exactly right, and I think I think Frame agreed with that. He pointed out that evil didn't have to be present to have a perfect uh, the world as God wanted it, because the future world that we have doesn't have it. Okay, so it's that, that, that you don't have to have evil to make that happen. He did, and and Tom points out very well that he worked out the best plan even through evil, but evil does not have to be present to have a perfect world because we're going to experience that someday. The curse of the fall has gone and all those good things happen. No evil, no Savior. Aha. No evil, no Savior. Yeah, that would be true. Wouldn't need one, would we? Uh-oh. Why me? Why me what? Yeah, yeah. You talk. Doesn't that very notion bring you to worship, to fall before Him and worship? You know why? Jesus, Damon. Yeah, yeah, the the autonomy, the the idea of man, uh, the to- autonomous man being in control, and we define the rules. I, mean, I think I'm saying the same thing you are, uh, and it does. It, it slips over into the church and affects us. It's it's our radical nature towards independence and and the, the freedom that we we think we want there uh, drives a lot. Yep, that's a great great point. It it will and. Um, yeah, I think if we do get, if you do get in a discussion with somebody that's a, a skeptic about, you know, God's existence and this is the reason because of evil, you, you, you're going to approach it by faith eventually. I mean, and they are too. <laughs> if they, they, they believe in something and that faith has to be there, but, but you go back to what scripture has to say. So that's, that's been the, hopefully for our class here and the study of this book is that's the thrust what what do we see of our lord uh what does the scripture teach us about our lord and i i mean there may be differences of opinion here but my my view is he has laid a great great groundwork for us to think about these difficult problems and this this being one of them i thought i saw another hand no rob I'm always afraid of yours, Rob. <laughs> okay, thank you. So, uh, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm wondering if there's how you feel about that word and did Frame address that word? Because that word kind of, it, it doesn't say that God is the author of evil, but he is sovereign over evil. Mm-hmm. He, he defines the why and the end of everything that he's sovereign over. So mm-hmm. I'm curious to know what you think about it. Yeah, I don't think Frame touched on that. I, I don't recall that he did. Um, but that's a that's a great point, and that that term's used. I think to me, it's clear that he does purpose uh, that, and and that you know he he purposes the use of evil, but maybe not the cause. Again, back to Joseph's brothers, you know, how did he cause them to do that? That's that's the difficult problem. But he clearly purposed the uh, their actions to bring about good, which ends up in the preparation of the children of Israel being who they are and. And, and cared for the way they are. So that, that's probably a pretty good term to use, I would think. How, Dennis? How different, how different is the word purpose between that and that word? It doesn't, doesn't seem like a lot to me, but man, I'm... You do like it? Yeah. Absolutely. It brings glory to him and him alone, and that was his plan to do that. Um, yeah. I think regarding frames using, going into more of these words and that sort of thing, I, don't, I think I took it that he, he basically said, we can't describe it, and, and you're not going to be able to defend it by coming to the right term. It, all of them fall short in one way or another in, in our discussion. So it, I took it that he was saying this you need to know these because different people use them and you need to be careful how you talk. I, I think that was his point in that particular section of the book, not to make a defense out of these particular words. If that helps. So what you do, you go to the lawyer's disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> you go to Deuteronomy 29, the reveal things are for us and the secret Okay. Yes, he, that is exactly right. 
So to sum up, to give us a, a closing, he's revealed a lot of things to us. And you remember Moses went back up on the mountain and when he, he carried some stones up there with him and God made a declaration of himself. And that's what I want to go to. It's in Exodus 34, uh, verses 6 through 8. So Moses goes back up and faces God, and God says, this is who I am. Okay. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And look at what Moses did. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. I'd say that's what we need to do. Being the instructor today, I provide a grade on a curve, and you'll note the huge piece of pie on the right. We now have marked the circle. You're dismissed. Thank <laughs> you.